Hey everybody, welcome to the Bay Shed Podcast. My name's Ryan Roberts. How you doing, folks? Uh, my name is Ryan. I would like to welcome all the new listeners. Thanks for checking out the podcast. You can also uh, find information at facebook.com backslash the base shed, Twitter at base shed, Instagram at the base shed. Uh, there's a YouTube channel. There's links to all of it at thebaseshed.com. And you can email me at ryan at thebaseshed.com as well. Um, you can sign up for the newsletter. That that goes out uh, probably a couple times a month, right? Letting letting everybody know what's going on with the content on the website as far as upcoming guests um, on on the podcast. And um, you can sign up for the newsletter by texting the word SHED, S-H-E-D, to 66866. Once again, that is the word SHED, S-H-E-D, to 66866. I want to take a quick second to talk about D. Lakin Bases. You can customize the base of your dreams, and each order starts with a conversation with Dan Lakin. Dan Lakin is a co-founder of Lakeland Bases. His new company, D. Lakin Bases, are custom bases, and you can call Dan direct. Dan's number is 312-576-3943. Once again, that is D. Lakin Bases. Customize the base of your dreams. Give Dan a call, 312-576-3943. To learn more about him, you can also check out the podcast episode with Dan Lakin. On the podcast today is New York bassist Mark Wade. Mark Wade is uh, just recently, just recently, his second time being on the Downbeat Readers Poll uh, for bass, obviously. Um, He's among amazing company and a bunch of legends, and that's... uh, He's very humble about it, and it's very, very cool, very cool. The thing with this episode uh, and my conversation with Mark that you'll hear us talk about at the front end is uh, we had recorded an interview, oh man, I don't even know, maybe maybe a month and a half ago, maybe a little longer than that, um, and we did, you know, kind of... Uh, this arc of like where he came from and and inspiration and all that and what he's up to now and is that we talk about his trio they have a couple records out the second one is called moving day um we talk a lot about his trio and composition and things like that we did that on the first one now that file that, that file got a little dinged up all right we <laughs> we we had recorded a Skype call and the audio wasn't great and I wasn't able to use it so we did it again and if you've listened to the podcast episode with Brent Anthony Johnson, uh, I used the same app, right? So again, I ran into the same problems with this one where where the uh, the app just cut me off at about an hour. Uh, again, Mark and I talked probably for another, oh, I don't know, probably 45 minutes, 30, 45 minutes. Um, we talk a lot about composition. We talk a lot about... Uh, we th- we talk about a lot of things. We talk about the nature of playing in a piano trio. Um, it was a really great conversation. I didn't I didn't want to rehash the information or the topics we had kind of talked about in the first one. So we just kind of pick up someplace new. 
and I was personally interested in um, his his record Moving Day because as you'll hear me talk about, I recently moved and I listened to his record during that process because I wanted to identify with that with that music while that was happening in my life, and uh, I wanted to I wanted to check in with that. Um, and also I was, uh, you'll hear me talk about some other things that I was up to compositionally with, uh, scoring a film, solo upright bass. Um, I'm, I'm, I'll talk more about that when the movie comes out, but that's not relative right now. Relevant? It's not relevant right now. Um, so yeah, Mark, Mark is an established bass player in New York. He plays in the Bronx Opera, which we don't really talk about too much, uh, in this conversation, um, and, but I remember we did in the last, the last conversation and I, it's hilarious. When I think of the Bronx, I do not think opera, right? When I think of the Bronx, I do not think Verde or, or Wagner, you know, Puccini. That's not what comes to mind when I think of the Bronx. I think of hip hop, um, and the beginning of hip hop and all that. Uh, yeah, but he's in the, he's in the Bronx opera. He's playing classical. He's uh, leading his trio, and we talk a lot about those things. Uh, congratulations to Mark for being on the downbeat uh, readers poll again. That's uh, that's inspiring, and uh, yeah, it's it was, this conversation was really inspiring to me. Um, I had a lot of fun talking to him, and um, here's my talk with Mark Wade. Cool, doing all right. How you doing? I'm doing good, man. So, uh, uh, so we are back for round two. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the sequel. You know, we got to give it a nice, a cool sequel name. You know, podcast under siege. <laughs> like it's a, like it's a Steven Seagal movie. <laughs> yeah. Right. Oh man, that would be amazing, man. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> then that's happening then. We... <laughs> nice podcast under siege. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. I like it. What have you been up to since uh, the last time we spoke? Oh, what have I been up to? Um, you know, I'd say the usual, you know, just kind of, you know, practicing, playing. I've been very busy this fall. Um, I guess the big news to report is that uh, I got picked in uh, this year's Downbeat Readers Poll again, so that was pretty cool. Oh, you're back at it. Yeah. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah, so I'm back in there, so that was pretty cool. So, how are you? When did that come out? Maybe just like a like three, four days ago. Pretty recent. So. Oh, very cool. Yeah. No, that's cool. What about you? What's what's been going on? Oh man, it's been crazy. I moved I was living in North Hollywood and I moved to Venice Beach. Wow. Uh so I had to do that. Um, which has been great. Oh good. <clears throat> but good. Yeah. It was a it was a necessary and welcomed relocation. Nice. Nice. Uh and then man Gates has just been kind of weird. <laughs> uh, yeah, there's a yeah. musical right now that's a little, little squirrely. It's fun. It's really fun. But yeah. it's, it was written, originally written just as a play and then adapted as a musical. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the music was written later. So I got to do that tonight, actually. Uh, and then okay. I got asked to do the soundtrack to a movie. Wow. With just solo upright. Wow. Yeah. Very so, nice, dude. <laughs> that's cool. Um, like the, her model, the director's model was what Antonio Sanchez did with Birdman. 
Okay. Where, where he just improvised drums to the movie. Okay. Um, so I'd, I'd seen the movie. I got to go rewatch it. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of look at it through a different lens. I have some ideas about how I'm going to approach this. Okay. Um, yeah. And I don't. Wow. <laughs> it's like there's no. Like how long? How long is the movie? It's an hour and a half. Oh, jeez. <laughs> no, no, and it gets better. It gets better. The turnaround on it is a week. I have to be done by Ooh. Friday. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Wow. Uh, yeah. Wow. So that's happening this week. Um, yeah. <laughs> and the only thing I can kind of, like, I signed a non-disclosure, so I can't talk about the film, but. Sure. No, that's fine. Uh, you know, I have. The the backstory on it is the director's dad was a bass player out here in L.A. And okay. she, she had kind of thought, like, wow, you know, I wish my dad was still around. It'd be cool to... Hello? 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 Oh, there we go. How about now? Oh. Oh, uh, I lost you there for a sec. Sorry about that. Yeah, I accidentally hit the mute button. Oh, it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're in round four. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the uh, the the movie's a, a mockumentary, and it's a uh, it's a dark comedy, but shot like The Office, you know, with these kind of cutaways. Okay. And so she just wants like this kind of I don't know. I don't. She knows. It's interesting that she knows enough about uh, upright bass history because of her mm-hmm. dad to, you know, throw me some references that normally I wouldn't get. You know, she can sure. she can reference Christian McBride or John Clayton or somebody, wow. uh, <laughs> which is atypical from a film director. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's cool, and I think. My approach is I just have to kind of find, I have to look for constant characters to lock in with and then lock into mm-hmm. the rhythm of their speech pattern and go from there mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. try to try to play the emotional content of the scene. That's, that's how I'm going to approach it. Wow. Uh, and then there's a couple other, there's some specific parts in the film where she definitely wants certain feelings and things. And um, I have some ideas for what those might be. But I'll I'll dig into it more. But yeah, it's it's really fun. It's a fun uh, it's a fun challenge. I mean, I oh, I can't cool. imagine that like you know I'll ever do this again. <laughs> <laughs> so well, it's not the kind of thing that comes up too often, right? I mean, no, no, it's unaccompanied <laughs> solo bass work. You know, not, not right. every day. Right, improvised mm-hmm. film score. Uh, solo upright. <laughs> what? Yeah, so yeah. doing that. Um, wow. Yeah, that and then all the other gigs I just do. So yeah, it's been it's been kind of a, a dense month, but all all good stuff, I guess. Oh, that's cool, man. Very good. Yeah, there was there was something you and I had talked about the last time that's kind of been it stuck with me. Uh, we were talking about just the nature of playing in trio, in piano trio. Mm-hmm. And, like, there was fragments of that conversation. 
that have been uh, kind of rolling around in my head. Uh, let's just kind of jump in there. I wonder. Sure. We we talked about the records you have in your trio and your composition, and we'll come back to all that, and we'll come back to your upbringing again, also. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah, like how do you? What's what's your approach? How do you approach playing in a piano trio? Let's with now in the context of your piano trio. So this is your piano trio, set guys, set music. It's a band. It's not it's not a pickup gig piano trio. Right. Uh, yeah, I'm specifically talking about your piano trio. Yeah, so I, you know, for my group, the the, I mean, because like you know, as you're as you're you know intimating here, there's a lot of different ways that one might play in a piano trio. Um, you know, a lot of a lot of the great piano trios, even even when there's like a, a division of labor, if you will, between the piano player and other people in the band at, at a certain point. They, they tend to be piano player dominated or, you know, because they're led by the piano player. And it's the nature of the instrument kind of leads itself because you've got the harmony and the melody, you know, yeah. in both hands. And, and you've got, so you've got a lot of control. Yeah, and it's got the biggest the range instrument. of any instrument. <laughs> exactly. Uh, you you've know, got, it's bigger than the bass. Exactly. You know, you got, you've got a, a, you can go lower than the bass. You can go higher than all the horns. You know, right. you've got all the notes in between. You've got all the harmony there and all the different kind of, you know, uh, voicing that, that you can imagine. And so, and so, sure, you know, the piano trios, you know, certain piano trios can be kind of dominated by the piano player because it, it's a vehicle that lends itself to like a piano player really, you know, making a statement, stepping out. In my band, obviously, I'm not a piano player. I'm, I'm the bass player. <laughs> um, so, you know, but the one thing that a piano trio, you know, um, can be, it, it really can be a, a great break, a division of labor where, Every instrument, because there's only three of us, and you know you've got you, that means you've only got more room, right? The smaller the band, the more room there is sure. for the players, and you know that. For me, the idea of my trio is that everybody gets um, everybody gets the space to step out as a soloist, and then there's also this space that if even as a as a collective unit, if we're playing a section where no one is particularly soloing or leading. There's room for that too. There's room for the interplay. There's room for people with soloists. There's you know room for those moments as accompanists to um, to do your thing. And in a perfect world, my trio sounds balanced. And um, actually, uh, I, another review for the the latest my latest CD, which was released like almost two years ago, um, or, or a year and a half ago. Uh, you know, I got another review, and just today, as a matter of fact, uh, by a guy in the UK, and um, I thought one of the greatest compliments that he paid me in that review is that you you would be hard pressed to know who the leader was if you didn't see my name at the top of the CD. Mm. And for me, that that's the that's that's exactly what the concept of the trio is supposed to be. That okay. um, there's room room for everybody, not a, a really a, community a, uh, team. Uh, yeah, kind of element to it, whereas you know everybody, it's equalized in the sense of like everybody has the same responsibilities to both lead, step out and fall back, and kind of be sensitive to each other, and and move yeah. as one unit. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. That's to me. That's what you know. The, the the trio can be such a nimble you know vehicle for that kind of thing. Where you know, if you go to the opposite end of the spectrum, a big band is not going to give you that kind of freedom, right? I mean, you're sure. going to, 
especially if you're a rhythm section player, especially if you're a bass player, you know, you're going to be, you're going to be working as an accompanist in a very large ensemble, which can be a very worthwhile and rewarding thing. But, you know, for me, for my own projects, I love the idea of having to have the same responsibility as everybody else in the band as a bass mm-hmm. player, because yeah. look, you know, we don't usually get that kind of space. We don't usually have that opportunity to shine as a soloist, but the, you know, then when you have that opportunity, then you have the responsibility to, to, to hold pull your own weight. And that's tough, mm-hmm. right? We we know as bass players that, you know, you can play lots and lots of notes on the tenor saxophone if you practice a lot, but it's, you know, relatively harder to play that same amount of notes and have that same, you know, just flexibility and fluidity on sure. the double bass. It's just the nature right. of the instrument, right? It's just, it's just a, it's a hard instrument to play from a technical standpoint to the same level as some of the other instruments in the band. So um, I love I love the piano trio, and I love, you know, being able to explore that with my particular group, the idea of having that space so that, you know, the notes you play are just that much more important. They, they matter that much more because there's really there's no other things happening. That you, there's no scene that you could kind of, you know, melt back into. There's no background that you can, you know, kind of hide in. Everything sure. is there for the listener, and um, I think that's kind of a cool place to be, you know. Yeah, and it's um, it's uh, one congratulations, I guess. I don't know if that's the right word, congratulations, but it's rare <laughs> to find three people that all um, that are all respect of uh, re- respecting the other two, you know. Like yeah, I've played with yeah. piano players that are just burning burning piano players and it's you know but it's they're they're so dominant in in Mm -hmm. the nature of the thing that it's just like okay my 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 role is to just follow behind you know and there's the way i think about it is these are guys that like they're just going to play on top of whatever i do and then there's other players Mm -hmm. that will play alongside me and it's a very Mm -hmm. much a dialogue i prefer to play that way um because it means they're listening I think yeah. I think that's the biggest thing to me is like not that the other guys don't have good ears and all that, but they're so kind of consumed with getting this thing out that yeah. Um, I mean, there's a, there's a couple players I I can think of right off the top of my head that, that I think they listen to whoever the bass player is first and foremost in the group mm-hmm. before themselves, mm-hmm. and they they hear every note in the walking line, um, mm-hmm. and. As soon as I know that they're listening like that, I know I can have even if <clears throat> even if I'm just walking and it's fine and I'm just accompanying, uh, I know that they're aware of it all. So any any harmonic substitutions or anything I do that they'll they're on board with it, and they're on yeah. board with the nuance of it. Um, <clears throat> but finding three guys that all kind of move like that—that's uh. How did you, was it, were you guys friends beforehand? Just kind of came up together? Were you kind of going through, you know, the phone book and calling different dudes and seeing who the <laughs> chemistry was right with? Like, how did, how did you land on that? Well, I, I had known them. Um, we, we hadn't played, before we had played together as a trio, we had played as, as, as part of a big band, as a matter of fact. Um, the, there's a guy here in town, uh, Bill Warfield, who's a trumpet player. Who um, he's the head of the music department at Lehigh University, and um, I teach for him. But but so do the other two guys in my band, uh, Scott Newman, the drummer, and Tim Harrison, the piano player. 
and um, I, I met Bill many years ago. In fact, right when I came out of college, um, you know, like 22 years ago, I was subbing for my teacher who was playing for, for Bill Worthel at the time, my teacher, Mike Richmond. And um, so I would cover some of these rehearsals for Mike if he couldn't make it here and there. And I was like the, the young kid, you know, coming in and, and, you know, it went well enough that Bill would have me back once in a while. Um, and Tim was a piano player in that group. And um, a few years later, Scott Newman was the, the drummer in that group. So we're, so we're playing with Bill Warfield, and, and it was just a case of these were guys that I had known. I'd known for a long time, you know, always respected them, you know, and I thought since they were familiar with each other and I was familiar with them and they were kind of familiar with me, it was a good place to start, right, rather than sure. just, you know, calling random people. Um, I thought, hey, you know, let's let's give it a try, and um, and it just happened to work. It happened to work right away. Um, it was that it was just that that instance where you get together and you're like, yep, this is what I was thinking of. This is what I was hoping. Yeah, for. I love those moments. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's nice when it works out. And look, it yeah. also helps that they're they're nice guys. Like you actually want to be in a room with them too, you know, because that's sure. that's important too, you know. Absolutely. You have. You have to get, to get you have to kind of get along, you know, um, and and luckily, you know, we have all that. So, yeah, I mean, I think all that translates into the the nature of playing together. I mean, you know, some of my favorite people to play with are my best friends outside of a gig, um, mm-hmm. and that's not those kind of work in tandem. Uh, they're not my favorite people to work with just because they're my favorites to hang with, um, but mm-hmm. it's there's there's like all these micro kind of agreeances that are just already established. <laughs> yeah, so we we communicate well, we can get along, we uh we have a good understanding of where the other person's coming from and all that all that is outside of a gig and then also within a gig. Uh too. So I think it's I mean there's, there's a lot of social elements there. We're trying to do something oh, as a group. Oh. And, uh, oh yeah, build... it, it, I totally no, I totally agree. I mean, you know, you, you don't have to be the best friends in the world, but at the same time, you have to. Well, you know, you think of it like if music is a conversation. Um, yeah. You know, con- conversation is conversation, right? You have to you have right. to reasonably be able to to get along, you know, musically and otherwise to converse with people, and and hopefully, um, you know, you have that, you know, both on and off the bandstand at least, you know. So. Yeah. Yeah. So let's um. Um, so the record, let's, let's plug the record that, um, you got the review on. Well, what's the name of the record? So the record is Moving Day. Uh, it's my second okay. CD that, uh, that the group has recorded. Um, we did it, uh, it was released in February of 2018. So that's, you know, less than, uh, well, just, you know, a little under two years ago, uh, be two years in, in February that it's been released and it, it continues to have traction, which I'm very fortunate for. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's a, it's a CD of all of mostly original music. There's two standards on there that I've arranged to sound kind of like my music. And, uh, it's, you know, as we're talking about, uh, the concept behind the record, the concept behind the trio, something where all of us get a chance to, to, um, to interact together as a group and step out as soloists, play together as accompanists. Um, you know, it's, I think it, was a pretty good act, a representation of where the band was at that time, and um, you know, really proud of it. Obviously, how it how it turned out. Nice. Um, couple questions. What what was the 
what's the narrative behind it in moving day? What's the, what's the personal narrative there that you're trying yeah. to kind of establish musically? So, yeah, so this record, um, the first record I did, um, which was entitled Event Horizon, was music that I wrote mostly just in the abstract. There were melodies I liked and chords that I liked with those melodies. You know, the way a lot of people write, you know, um, mm-hmm. you write it, you like, you write the tune because you like the tune, you like the, you like the music. Right. And for this, for this record, I, I tried, you know, as an exercise as a writer to kind of write with kind of ideas in mind, like where I was trying to have the music convey a certain image, whether it was a, sure. a, a place or a certain time or a certain emotion or just a certain picture, if you will. Um, that I was trying to write to. That was kind of, that was a new experience for me. Um, I had always um, just kind of seen music as in the abstract, like music for the sake of music. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. And that's a great thing. But for the, for this record, for moving day, um, I tried to think of, you know, to have the music relate to a certain idea. Uh, sure. The title track moving day is, is um, about kind of the fact that I've moved, I think it's like 14 or 15 times over the course of my life, which, it's oh, wow. more than most people, I suppose. You know, it's a lot. Yeah. It's a lot of moving around. And, uh, uh, that, yeah. Folks in the military or something? What, what, <laughs> what was the, the reason? reason? Everyone always asks. It's funny. So yeah. My dad, I mean, that's the only yeah, thing that makes sense. It's, it's, I mean, that's how it is for most people. My dad was actually, he he was, um, we're from the Midwest. My family's from the Midwest. I was born in Michigan, but my folks are both from Wisconsin. And my dad ended okay. up working for, I believe it was General Motors. You know, this is back when, you know, car companies were much bigger in that part of the world. Sure. Um, but he worked for General Motors, and I think to start with, and, you know, a division would get bought or this company would get bought or something else would happen, and then we'd move. And, and this would happen every year or two while I was a young kid. So, um, you know, that was kind of how, as a young kid, I, I moved a lot, and then I moved a bunch when I was here in New York, just as an itinerant musician moving from apartment to apartment. Sure. Um, so that's kind of how all that, you know, it, it adds up over time. I, I hadn't, hadn't really thought of it. I didn't think much about it. But one day I had kind of added it up and I was like, holy cow. Um, yeah. I probably, you know, I, I'm place I'm at now. I, we've, my wife and I have been here 10 years and I think and that's the longest I've lived anywhere uh, in, over the course of my life. And I think, um, you know, it's not a coincidence that maybe at a time when I wasn't moving around so much, I kind of stopped and that kind of, you know, just reflected on that idea. And I thought that was a, a great a great title for the album since it is such a part of my life, really. Sure. And that's also kind of um, fascinating in the sense that um, being being at this residence, for a longer period of time that how that translates musically i'm assuming that mm-hmm. there's a connection here which is like mm-hmm. now this second record is kind of rooted in something more it's a little bit more established because that's almost like a headspace you're in from being in this residence for the as long as you have oh, i wouldn't totally. i wouldn't use i wouldn't i don't want to use i forgot the word you used to explain explain the the writing on the previous record i don't want to say fragmented but um that's the word more, more, kind more of, in the abstract mind. Yeah. Yeah, more more in the ab- music in the abstract, you know, art for the music for the sake of music as opposed to about a certain, you know, person or thing that happened to you that time, you know. Sure. Um well, then there was another question I was going to ask you you were talking about that and now I forgot it. I was thinking about the moving thing. <laughs> <laughs> um 
I I I I prefer to write like that. I haven't written in a long time. Uh, mm-hmm. Now I got to mm-hmm. now I got to pump out a film score in a week. Uh, yeah, really. Yeah, <laughs> you'll be writing now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. As soon as we get off the phone. Um, yeah. <laughs> but I I like that idea, and I think for me, it was it was when I heard Matheny's Secret Story record, hmm. and all of a sudden, it's as if Matheny had written a soundtrack. And he's putting the visual on us as the listener. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, it's all this gorgeous music on that record. And it's it has a lot of imagery in it. And, like, my imagination just started going. And I was creating all these images to it. And then after that, and I, after I was processing that experience, uh, I kind of began to think about that. And, and just what had happened there while I... It, but I listened to that record and I'm like, man, that's, that's intense. That's intense to write yeah. that way, to write, to write a soundtrack and something that's so strong that it will ignite the imagination, you know? So it's not like you're writing to a visual, they're creating the mm-hmm. visual and you've already, um, <laughs> you know, so they're, they're, they're a part of the process now. And so that was so captivating to me. And those ideas were that, um, I kind of always have to write like that because the pitfall I would fall into otherwise would be um, some kind of thing of like trying to prove myself either harmonically or rhythmically or like work out some really technical situation. Um, Maybe it's something I can't play yet or I want to get better at. Sure. I'll write a tune like that. Um, yeah. I mean, th- those are all part of it. That's always kind of a part of my writing. I want to challenge myself with something and mm-hmm. have a reason mm-hmm. to deal with these things. But um, so I think a lot, I, I write about people a lot. Like when I had a group, it was very short lived. Um, it was more of a crossover kind of thing. Uh, I was super mm-hmm. influenced by Steps Ahead. I loved that band. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, it, was, it was approachable music but it was still like there's some there's some meat in there uh i never oh, yeah. was a great player <clears throat> also mark yeah. johnson's bass desire record um yeah oh sure yeah were those i mean they would just be like a three minute surf song with no with no <laughs> solos and it was they're just playing moods and atmosphere um mm-hmm. and i was really inspired by all that and i but to to kind of write with something in mind to convey something would be so I would write for guys in the band and how they play. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, the Duke thing. <clears throat> um, but it was uh, it was fun and it gave me it gave me a, a starting point, uh, which is different than just like maybe playing um, a chord progression or sequence that I thought was cool. Sure. Yeah. It, it, this would kind of give me something to to lock in with, and I had to then I had to extract that, you know, like on the podcast, mm-hmm. there's a little music clip after I introduce the podcast and it goes into like this funk thing. Um, like that's a tune in nine written about the drummer that played on that. Yeah. And th- <laughs> that tune is written about how he moves when he plays. Interesting. Yeah. Um, so like, I always have to have something to lock in and like, I really, really enjoy that approach to writing. Um, I think the idea of, and I'm also captivated by music and geography and how those two worlds connect. Mm. Mm. Um, 
where people are either in the country or where, you know, like I, I, I yeah. went back and listened to the record while I was moving, actually, your record. Interesting. So I, wanted, yeah. I wanted to see um, how, because I had listened to it before when mm-hmm. you sent it to me, and mm-hmm. I was checking it out. Um, but now I'm like, okay, I want to give this a go while I'm moving to see <laughs> where how I connect with this. And it was cool. Mm-hmm. It was a really, really cool experience. Oh, um, great. And, and a cool way to connect with the music going through a similar thing in real life. Um, yeah. Yeah, that was, a, that was a fun process. Oh, uh, okay. In addition to, you know, going, <laughs> changing my address. And, yeah, <laughs> you know, all the, all the dumb yeah. crap you got to do when you move. Uh, oh, you know, the telling the bank that I live somewhere else now. Exactly. Uh, yeah, all those, all those things. Um, so when you're writing abstract music, what what is your your launching pad? What where do you go to start? Do you just sit at a piano? Do you come up with a baseline first? Is it some a melody that pops in your head? I know it can be any of those things, or maybe all at the same time. Uh, mm-hmm. But where where have you found the most success when writing yeah, a tune just for tune's sake? That's not rooted in something yeah i think for me for me like it's 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 an idea that usually comes to me kind of in my head some kind of it could be a a a kind of groove or a, or a kind of you know fragment of a melody with a certain kind of vibe behind it as a starting point and then i um i actually never go to the bass um mm-hmm. to write i, I because okay. for me for me like if i go to the bass to write i'm going to end up uh, it's the music's going to end up getting bent to like maybe what I might otherwise play, you know, normally just play for myself on the instrument rather than maybe what I'm actually hearing in my head. Sure, like I kind of what, the, I, what your hands are used correct, to doing. Correct, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I don't want my hand I don't want to, you know, write with my hands. I'm trying to write with the music that's actually, you know, in my head. And sure. um and so I don't want to fall into any kind of like kind of patterns or preconceived, you know, preconceived, you know, um, notions, you know, that, that I might have just picking up the instrument. So I always write at the piano. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I play just well enough to write well enough for me. <laughs> uh, I'm yeah. not a piano player, you know, by any stretch of the imagination, but I, that's how I do it. Um, I, I, I'm writing at the piano and if it's in the abstract, it's, yeah, it's, it's a fragment of an idea. Um, it might be, couple of notes you know or something like that and then i i try to get those notes out i try to you know really play what i'm hearing and then if if there's a certain sound behind that you know you start experimenting maybe with the with some chords um i if if i write any i i rarely and maybe have never written a tune because i came up with a chord progression and then wrote a melody over it i'm almost always writing Mm -hmm. from the the melody first, the theme, even if it's not a super melodic idea, the theme first. So sure. I I feel like I'm writing music that is that is I want I guess I want to say honest or the an honest representation of what I'm actually hearing. If I'm if I'm working on that main theme first, if I can get a theme that I think is compelling that I feel is like wow that really moves me, I'm really excited by that. Then mm-hmm. I can write around it. But if I don't have a theme that I'm particularly enthralled with, then um, then I know I'm not on the right path. Sure, sure. Um, 
I, I agree with you, and I, I think I've um, sometimes I do write on the base, uh, mm-hmm. only because I don't have to think about that instrument like I would if I sat down at the piano. <laughs> yeah, like well, I, you yeah. know. Like, I have to think about the piano more, and so I can just sit at the bass and, you know, sing it and just go for the note and that's in my head. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I, I, I alleviate the, the little struggle with the instrument there. I mean, there's still a struggle with the bass. Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, when I'm composing, uh, I, I kind of just remove that element. So sometimes I do write on the bass, sometimes I write on piano. Um, mm-hmm. the, the problem I've run into, and I don't know, maybe you've run into this or not, is mm-hmm. when I come up with the melody and then I'll go harmonize it and everything works and it sounds cool. And then like, I'll take it, you know, like go over to somebody's house and we'll just play through it because I want to hear it in real time and mm-hmm. see what happens, you know, when we're actually playing it like a tune. And it's not fun to play over. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you yeah. get there like, man, that, that sounds really cool. This is not, this just isn't fun. This just isn't fun, whatever it is, like the form or the changes. This is not yeah. that fun to play over. Uh-huh. Um, and so I always, and I'm curious how, if, if that's happened to you, and then what you do in reaction to that. Like sometimes I'll I'll go back and try to rework the tune. Sometimes mm-hmm. I've gone back and reworked the tune so much I think I lost it. Yeah. Uh, you know, I've, I've it's, it's been under the microscope so much that it's not even what it was initially. And I lost all the elements that I did like. Yeah. Um, and so then I just have to scrap it or, you know. I mean, mm-hmm. there's there's a couple mm-hmm. I've had just had to set aside for a few years. Like, I'll come sure. back to that when after I grow as a composer a little bit. And mm-hmm. maybe I'll uh, check in with it see if I can do something with it or maybe not. Maybe that one's just a, a near miss. Yeah. Oh, I, I've totally had that same experience. I mean, I, I have a tune um, that I finished writing, I don't know, maybe about six months ago or something like that. And that had been sitting partially sketched out in a notebook for, yeah, for a couple of years. Yeah. Um, and then I came back to it, you know, and I, I knew it was good enough you know, I had gotten just a little bit of a little ways with it. Like I had kind of a a concept and, a, and an opening theme or whatever, and I couldn't get past it. I couldn't, you know, I just, it just wasn't working. I knew it was good enough to, to not throw away, but I also knew that I just, it was just time to move on to other things. I was writing other stuff that was coming out better. And, you know, I left it there. And yeah, sometimes I think you got to come back to it later. Um, and I'm glad I did. I mean, it was certainly a much better tune because I waited. Uh, yeah, I I, I, made, I made choices that when I came back to it, I absolutely would not have made the first time, and I I like the choices that I did ultimately make. So mm-hmm. sure, uh, you know you, you this that, and that's something that like actually it took me a little while to learn. Like you know you're talking about like the writing a tune and and you know, having something be uncomfortable. You know when I first started writing music, I was I started writing music actually when I was in college like my junior and senior year of college, and I was taking like jazz composition lessons from a wonderful piano player, uh, composer and arranger, Mike Oliver, who's here in New York City. Mm-hmm. Uh, he has a great big band. He's, he means a tremendous musician. Um, and the the great irony is at the time, I was I was writing probably way above what I was capable of playing at the time. 
because I had only just started playing, I only started playing the acoustic bass about halfway through college, like towards the end of my sophomore year of college. So my junior year, I'm sitting down and I'm writing this stuff. And I don't really know always exactly what I do, what I was doing. I had a lot of theory knowledge. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and just through a lot of trial and error sitting at the piano, that coupled with just having some of these ideas, I would, I would write for certainly for what my playing level was very sophisticated music that I absolutely could not play. Um, (laughs) And it's, and it's funny to see it years later and and be like, wow, I can't believe that I I could have written this then. So, you know, it's a, it's a funny thing. Like there, there was a case where like I had completely written tunes that I had to put away for years before I could even really, you know, play them the way that I was hoping to on the bass, whether as a soloist or, or whatnot. But, um, yeah, it, but at the time, like, like I didn't know any other way of writing. Like, you wrote the tune. Like, you started at the beginning and you wrote to the end, and sure. and then and that was it. And and I didn't do I didn't really do any revisions. Like, it, it was what it was, and then I wrote it and I put it out. And um, when I got back into writing years later, because I taken a, after I got out of school, I was just focusing on being you know sideman and playing. Yeah, just for being a bass player. Yeah, yeah, so yeah like actually working and making a living. Uh, imagine that. But um, yeah. <laughs> you know, it, when I when I did get back into writing again, you know, years later, um, it took me a minute to realize, like I'm, you know, also now being a little older, being a little more mature, and remembering some of the stuff that you know Mike and others had said that you know, as a writer, you know, I guess I was always worried about it had it had to be perfect, whatever that meant. You know, you can, sure. you know, whatever that's supposed to be. But like, I, I was so I was maybe. I, I wouldn't just like sketch out an idea. And if I had an idea, it didn't go anywhere. So a lot of times I would dismiss it. But then I, I realized the power and like, leave, you know, keep your sketchbook, you know, you write down a few yeah. measures that you like, you know, save it. You don't know what to do with it. Well, you might later. And it might go I have a, I have a folder change, you know? full of just little, little ideas. Yeah, I mean, some of them are like the ostinato baseline ideas. Some of them are yeah. little melodic, you know, and, I forget that I even have the folder most times. Yeah. And so I come across it, I'm like, oh, yeah. And then I'll open it up mostly just for, like, uh, almost novelty. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I'm not opening it up to actually (laughs) dig into it. Um, But I'm like, oh, yeah, man, I really got to, you know, note to self, I really got to do something with that. All right. (laughs) And then, you know, next thing you know, (laughs) I don't. Yeah, but that's but, but but still though, theory. I mean, it's like because you never know. You never know what you're going to run into with that. And and that's I'm I'm I've found that like as I've you know just been taking a more mature approach, I suppose, to this stuff is that I'm not maybe I'm not as hard on myself if it's not working out right. I'm not I'm not as I mean, it's a fine line. You, you of course you have to be critical about what you're doing. You, you don't want to just do it and not care. Um and it's such a fine line that we, whether, whether we're players or we're composers, you're, that's that fine line of being subjective and objective at the same time. And that's, you know, yes. it's almost impossible, right? I mean, right. you're constantly trying to strike a balance, but so you, know, you want to scrutinize your work. And if you're writing, you want to scrutinize your writing. And is this, is this really, is this melody, is that really, you know, the, what I wanted it to do? Did I want it to be more this or more that or whatever? Or am I settling for just like this is what I wrote initially and I'm not really, you know, I'm just I'm saying, oh, that's good enough when maybe it really isn't. Or am I just or am I spinning my wheels and, and I'm I'm being too critical and I'm, I'm you know, I need to move on and it's it's fine and just relax about it. Uh, but but 
you know, the, if you write if you write stuff down and you don't like it, I, again, that idea of keeping it for an, a rainy day when that um, when that can be something that actually works. I mean, I have a couple, of, uh, actually a few of my new tunes uh, that I have planned for for the next record, which I'm working on. Um, nice. You know they've uh, you know they've come from just those things, and you know maybe in the past I might have missed those ideas, um, but now mm-hmm. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm maybe a little more um, trying to you know relax a little bit more about that that approach. So, so then when when you do write a piece and you you're gonna sign off on it and like yeah that's done. Yes. <laughs> what is what what is the uh, what is that what is that process to to get you to kind of release it? Like release it in your, you know, your mind mentally, release it emotionally. Like, yeah, that's it. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm stepping away. I'm stepping away. Yeah. Uh, when I, I would say, I would say, I mean, you know, it, it, you have the process of like you're sitting at the piano writing stuff down, and then you sketch out ideas, and then you might have all the ideas in your head, you know, done. I think once I have put pen to paper, so to speak, and there's like an actual chart. And that chart is now a thing I could hand to somebody. It's not just an idea in my head anymore. It's not okay. just like, oh, you could sort of read through like some sketches on some scraps of paper. It's an actual piece of paper with instructions on it that you could hand to musicians and it could be played. That's mm-hmm. usually when I'm like, okay, good, it's done. And and, and it feels done to me. That's, um, yeah, that's, that's kind yeah. of what that, – there's. I don't know how to explain that feeling, but like – and it, it's not just with, for me, completing of, you know, having a chart. Um, it's, there's this, there's a kind of like this emotional closure on the <laughs> idea, on the musical idea. Like, okay, that's taken care of now. That's a piece mm-hmm. that's, um, that's at rest kind of within myself. Um, and, and, and the tune lets me know that if I'm playing through the tune, yeah, or play it through it with somebody, like yeah, that's that's done. That's we're yeah. good here, you know. Because <laughs> yeah. if I think about it too much, I do. I have the problem of being more uh, more heady about the situation than I ever need mm-hmm. to be. Oh man, yeah. I can add this here, and I could do <laughs> this here, and then what if I put this as the bass note? Or what if now I'll screw that? What if it's a pedal? What if it's yeah. a 13? What if it's... Yeah, exactly. And it just, it just goes down this rabbit hole. And I was just yeah. trying to write a riff blues. And all of a sudden, uh, you know, it's orchestrated for a non-net. Like, I don't know what happened. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And I just keep pushing it because I like the creative process. And I have to remember, like, to check in with, with it. You know, like, all right, how you how are you doing, song? Like, you know, are we good here? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. Cuz otherwise I'm just going to keep flipping this over and kneading the dough until it's uh and I'm just going to overwork it. Oh yeah, that and that's 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 always I think the danger. Um to me I I always think of that that it's the same thing you're describing. I think of it in terms of like, you know, the uh you know, it's it's the small picture and big picture approach. Like there's times when you have to like I'll obsess over like a measure of like, is the note going to be on this beat or that beat? This beat yeah, or yeah. that beat? This beat or that? You know? <laughs> and you can go and you can go over and like, and you're playing the idea over in your mind. You're hearing your head like, oh, the, it should, the hit should go on this beat. That's so, yeah. and and maybe, and, and, and maybe rightfully so that, that just, you know, 
I do think that if you are really specific with little details in the song, that can matter. As long as you always remember, like that big picture thing, like, okay, what is this song? What is this trying to do? Am I trying to? Is it a? Right. Is it you know a song that is going to be you know have lots of space in it? Is it going to be this song that has this expansive melody that has this kind of certain kind of vibe to it? Whatever you know, it's, any number of scenarios, right? That your your individual song that you're writing might be trying to get across. And then if if you if you keep those in mind and, and then you look at the small details and be like, oh, you know what? It doesn't matter. None of this matters. Right. This is not important. Or, you know, or, oh, no, it really does matter. And it needs to be this kind of thing because, you know, you've you've started to drift out of your lane, if you will, and, and started sure. to maybe get into, like, details of, like, you know what? I'm no longer really writing this song anymore. I'm writing another song. And these yeah. elements don't belong in this song. And that's that's hard to do sometimes. It's hard to keep that. Yeah, keep kind of perspective. Uh, I think the I, I've written a couple tunes. One one is one uh, the song I wrote probably ten years ago, and it's about a character in a painting. And so uh-huh. like there's this there's this painting by uh, Edgar Degas called Absence, mm-hmm. and uh, mm-hmm. in the foreground. And I like I like that period of the visual arts, like impressionistic, French impressionism, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so this is from that period. And in the foreground, there's this there's this woman just, you know, <laughs> strung out on absence. And okay. to, her, to her left, there's this dude that is not strung out. And, like, I got really curious about that guy. Like, who is this guy? <laughs> Did he set her up to it? Like, what's this yeah. guy up to? I don't, I don't like his intentions. Um, <laughs> And and it's an amazing, amazing painting because it made me ask all these questions about a supporting character in the in the painting. Yeah. Um, so it provoked a lot of thought for me, which I mean, brilliant, brilliant work. Yeah. Um, and so like then then I tried to create. I wanted to tell his story, a little bit. I wanted to imagine what his story was, and so I started writing this tune about him. And that's one that I don't know if it's ever really quite landed. Like I've uh-huh. I've gone over it time and time again. Um, so that that's part of that process. But being I had the visual to always check in with. Mm-hmm. Like I could always kind of write something. Maybe I'd get a little carried away or overanalyze something <laughs> or get a little too heady. And I could always go back to the actual visual of it and check in. And so, as you know, just kind of a you know a north star keep keep me on track uh that was really helpful in a sense of to not to not get you know not to wander too much out of my lane uh yeah because that's a problem i really struggle with with writing i mean it, it just <laughs> staying focused and staying kind of in that headspace um and just in that whole emotional posture of like this is what i'm hoping to communicate uh and making sure that that gets delivered without it getting squandered by, you know, me over theorizing something. Yeah. No, that's, I, I think, you know, there's the, the, the idea of like, Oh, suddenly it should be in 13 and it's, like, you know, that's, I think that's something that, you know, everybody is like, we're all prone to that. Right. Because you, you spend, it's the same concept of like, you know, you can practice a million years to have tons and tons of chops on the instrument. 
but the whole point is not to use them all the time. You know, right. like it's 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 when you use them. It's that you can use them if the situation calls, which is sure. better than if you if the situation calls for it and you can't do it. You're like, well, geez, I, I have to learn how to do that. But the problem is for for all of us that, that you spend all this time learning how to play your instrument, you know, at like maximum, you know, peak efficiency and notes per second, you know, for that aspect of it, you know, to, to not use that all the time and, and, right. and know when you should not use it at all. And I think the same thing is true as a writer. Like you, you learn all of these musical concepts and you understand the concept of, you know, 13 over pi or, you know, yeah. whatever ma- magical chord <laughs> combination no one's ever heard of, right? You know, right, being, right. Being, right. I'm going to reinvent uh, harmony. <laughs> exactly. Like, like, yeah. and 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 that's and, and you know, we're we're always like, yeah, you know, I'm I'm going to just you know, I'm going to just rip a new hole in the universe here with like my amazing you <laughs> yeah. know, concept. And and in in the quest to do that, like, realize like maybe the best thing to write here is C major, and that'll be the most yeah. impactful thing that you could possibly do. Uh, yeah. And it's hard not it's it's hard not it's hard to do that. It's hard to write simply and effectively. Sure. And and because if you if you it doesn't mean that you can never write anything in thirteen or whatever or amazing, you know, chord that you invented. But if you feel that if your vehicle for composing is to only go down that road, then it means you're then you're really maybe not all that skilled as a composer. Great composers can take two chords and make it sound like you've never heard one to four before. You know, right. or some chord progression that we've heard a million times. You're like, that chord progression is amazing. What is it? Oh, it's like the one chord and a four chord. You yeah, know, yeah. oh, it's, it's because of how they used it and how they framed it and where it came and what context and all that other stuff. That's where I think, you know, you really show your stripes as a composer. Yeah, write write the complicated stuff and, and, and do all that stuff and write in odd meters. And God knows I write in odd meters all the time now. But if if my music has any merit to it, I feel like it's because I can, when when I need to be simple and I can communicate a melody, um, I can I can pull one out and, and that's what saves the day for me. Yeah, and I think that that, um, that decision-making process is, um, I know I've talked about that on the podcast with some other guys. Uh, mm-hmm. the, just, <clears throat> the, the decision-making process that goes into playing, mm-hmm. right? I mean, um, we make, uh, who knows? I wish, I wish at some point it could be calculated. How many micro decisions <laughs> musicians make? <laughs> Tasteful musicians. <laughs> <Make. laughs> uh, when when playing, uh, because really that's that's the name that's the name of the game at a certain point. Yeah, making prudent decisions. Uh, you know, as long as you have the bases covered, no pun intended. Sure. When, sure. You know, you time, sound, you know, all that, all those, mm-hmm. all those things. Um, sure. It really just comes down to making the right decision. Yeah. Right. Yeah. As a player, and that works both, like you know, when you're behind the bass, and then when you're composing as well. I think it's. Yeah. Uh. And that's. I don't know. I'm not sure. I'm not sure how you teach that. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I don't know if, as a teacher if you've encountered this or. Um. I mean, because at this point, when you're talking about the art of decision making and just yeah. making artistic decisions. Mm-hmm. You're not talking about you. You're talking about artistry, and you're talking about personal yeah. artistry. Yeah. Uh, 
so I don't know if you have the time within where you teach to get to those places with any of your students. Uh, do you? Do you, do you get a chance to kind of go down some of those rabbit we, holes? You know, not as much. I mean, I, I feel that, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's a really interesting question that, that you pose. And I suppose I don't frame it that way. And I don't talk about that. I mean, with, with some of the students that I have now, you know, the decision-making process is more about like, you know, trying to remember the right notes sometimes, or, you know, sure. this is what this kind of chord is. But in a way, like, isn't that, you know, where, where it starts, right? Like you, of course. you see a chord, if, you know, as a jazz player and you see F7, you have some decisions to make, you know, like mm -hmm. you, you have to know, like, what are all the notes that are in that chord? And then what notes of those, of that, of those notes that I think I have available to me, do I want to play? And then what notes did someone else play? And then what should I play in response? And, you know, obviously that's one chord that goes by in an instant. And like you said, just one of the many instances of micro decisions that one might make over the course of a song. So, yeah. um, you know, I think, <clears throat> I think you're right. In the end, you can never really, you can't teach your entire concept to somebody, right? Because it is a personal right. concept and, and the, you're, you're getting into like, what is a personal decision. They are, are really artistry at that point. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, that it would be hard to teach it all, but I think a good teacher is going to, first of all, make good, you know, if they themselves are somebody, somebody who has artistry to them, you reveal that to your students just by, you know, by how you play, right? Mm -hmm. um, and then you can talk about at least some of the maybe uh, big picture ways in which, you know, they can start to go down that road and approach that. But in the end, you know, it's always up to each student to, you know, you could you could easily make the case that every, you know, player is just a, a sum of those micro decisions that they've made on a song sure. between now and whenever they started, right? I mean, it's a, it's yeah. a great, it's really a great image, um, I think, you know, that you, that you describe. Um, and it's impossible to, it would be impossible for my teacher to tell me all of his, you know, decisions, right. nor would it be possible for me to pass that on to another student. They can give you some and they can give you some direction, but you know, that's the beauty in, in that you no know, two bass players are exactly the same, you know? Uh, yeah. Uh, I, I agree. I agree. It's, um, I think some of those ideas, now, I was I was fortunate enough to have a teacher at a young age that would really um, really get really check in with me about that stuff. I mean, some of the lessons were mm -hmm. me just coming over to his place for a bass lesson, but I had just bought like a bunch of you know used CDs at the used CD store, and you know we brought them over and we'd listen to them. And he he was amazing, <clears throat> and I'm looking forward to having him on the podcast uh, mm -hmm. about. He would ask me why, and I would bring over, you know, records. I'm not going to use any names in in this uh, thing, but I'd bring over sure. records of, like, dudes that were at the top of the game, a bass player-wise, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. I thought it was the best ever, you know? Mm -hmm. And and Steve would ask me why. Mm -hmm. Like, so don't, don't just sign on because it's this dude's a, a hero, you know, right. in the bass world. Oh, why? Right. What What was it about any of that that did something for you? You know, mm -hmm. not 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 to really call me out or challenge me um, that I may be right or wrong, 
but to get me to kind of start thinking that way and really yeah. kind of teach this, uh, be objective about what you're listening to. Yeah. It doesn't matter who it is, <laughs> what their resume uh, has been, uh, anything like that, but just really, really process what, what you're absorbing and be, be kind of be discerning for yourself about that. Yeah, that's that's like that's the best way. I think that's just such a great thing, you know, that he did and and I think that's the best approach because if you fall you know, like this is this is always the topic, right? You know, in the jazz in, I guess in music in general, but certainly in the jazz world, you know, what is one of the most important things? The veneration of the elders, right? You know, it's like mm-hmm. Coltrane, Miles Davis, you know, you go through the list of names and I, I love all of them, but if you're just saying the names because you're supposed to say the names, you know, you're not actually listening to all the any. You're not getting any of the artistry that's actually on those records. Right. Uh, and I and I absolutely, 100% agree. You have to, you, you got to forget about the name that's on the the, the you know the, the record label or the la- the name that's on the on the album, and listen to the music and 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 yeah, listen critically. Like, do I do I really like this? You know, right. why do I like this? Like, what what about this is attractive to me? And and to be able to speak in, you know, I, I ask my students like, um, it, I have a a combo that I teach at, at school, and it's a it's a it's a trio. It's actually a piano trio, and I'm 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 teaching this class, and I have certain recordings and certain songs from recordings I have them listen to, and I said, I give it to them. I say like, I want you to come in next week and be able to just speak intelligently about what you hear on this recording on this one tune oh nice you've got to listen to this one tune just come in and speak and tell like like you know no observation is too big or too small don't you know don't be embarrassed but like i want you to try to speak intelligently about something on this on this recording tell me Mm -hmm. you know something about this you know that that you think is important and i think when you listen in that respect and you have to say it isn't just like well i really like it or well i really grew Okay, right, right. Yeah. You know, you know, nice. But you know, to go beyond that and really start to get under the hood with it, and that's I, it's so critical, I think, for students. And you know, your teacher was was brilliant for having you do that. I think. Yeah, uh, I agree. I agree. And I've I've been as I've he lived out in New York uh, actually, and so I he's been in LA a few times. I think for Nam and some other things. And every time he's here, we get try to hang. And I've. Mm-hmm. You know, gotten gotten a chance to tell him that that man, like that was the that that's probably bigger than any lesson I've gotten from you know any of the the heroes I've had a chance to study with, like mm-hmm. that that kind of mental, uh, <clears throat> not even conditioning because it wasn't anything I was forced to do. All he did was get me to think. Yeah. As a musician, uh, and as an artist, and. And then, and then, kind of relate that to those same ideas into playing. So part of the lesson at times would be him and I just playing tunes duo, um, mm-hmm. and and just talking. You know, we'd play through it, and then we'd kind of have some commentary on it. And the idea of just making the most <clears throat> effective musical decision. Mm-hmm you know, in real time based on what the other person is doing. And, yeah. you know, and however old I was at the time, like the 1920s, somewhere in there, <laughs> being able to think like that was cool. But then I didn't have the, um, I don't know, the, the, I didn't have the, the toolbox to really pull from 
Sure. So, you know, I, <laughs> you know, I, I had an eight millimeter wrench. I'm like, cool. Let's go rebuild the carburetor. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> like, I'm not completely equipped <laughs> to do the job. Um, and, uh, but I mean, that's, I, I believe that's all part of it. You know, after you grow more, you oh, absorb yeah. different things from other players and that's, some of that's just going to take there. time. We're, oh yeah. We're all in that same position, whether people want to fess up to it or not at some point or another in our, especially sure. in the beginning, we're all in that position, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So yeah, me too. Yeah. Same thing. Uh, but it's being able to, to think like that, I think was the biggest, the biggest thing, and I've I've had some private students over the years that I've I've tried to go there with, and um, I don't know if I've ever really found a good way yet <laughs> to communicate yeah. those ideas, and because uh, there's there's the theory aspect of playing music, whatever mm-hmm. genre you're, you're dealing with chords and you're dealing with rhythms, and there's a theory to both of those elements, uh, yeah. so you have to understand that. You have to understand, uh, you know, if you're now, if you're playing jazz and you're walking a line, okay, there's some fundamentals in line construction about you know, mm-hmm. making sure all the changes are heard, um, mm-hmm. but without, you know, but also hopefully to play a line that's inspiring, um, mm-hmm. so, you know, and has a shape in and of itself, all those ideas. But to, but at a certain point, like, it's hard for me to teach. Cool. You can show up. You know, if you're going to play through Stella, you show up, mm-hmm. cool. You know the changes, you know the form, you played it a thousand times, great. Cool, mm-hmm. no big deal. None of it means anything until you have something to <laughs> respond to. <laughs> That's right. That's right. You know, until until you find out what tempo the piano player put it in or, you know, how much you got to pull the drummer back. I don't know why I villainized the drummer in that scenario, but I did. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Uh, you know, because you have all these micro decisions to make. You can't just show up and like, all right, he has to finish a seven. You can't. Yeah, right. <laughs> you, 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 with these kind of blinders and just stick in your lane, like you got to know all that stuff and then just not think about any of it. Yeah, yeah. Because what well, you have to think so about hard, is, yeah. you know, and uh, I don't know how to, I don't know how to communicate that. I think the idea of just getting students to listen to one tune and, and dig into a tune is is good. What kind of feedback have you heard? And have you heard any feedback that it was a little enlightening to you? Like, huh, I never, mm-hmm. I never checked that part out. You know, like that's yeah. something new that I've heard. Like, have you learned from your students in this exercise? Yeah, I think, I think, I mean, yeah, and and I think also, even more than that, I find that, um, and this is like the wonderful thing about teaching is you'll say something and it's really good advice, and you're like, oh yeah, I should do that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like in, in, in in articulating like what you like, you see a student and you see what they need. Yeah, I you know, and you you try to see what they need, not not what like you want to teach. What do they need to learn? Like, you know, I might want to talk about X today, but like X ain't gonna happen because they need to know about like letter M and the letter X or something, right? You know, like or whatever. And and so a really uh you know Homer Mensch, super famous classical bass player here in New York, and you know he was kind of like the pedagogue of pedagogues for you know a lot of people here in in, in New York, anyways, and. And uh, somebody who was a student of his, uh, who had him, you know, later in life, uh, he said that what, what Homer said, he said, he, he said, I don't give lessons, I write prescriptions. 
And I think that's a great way to look at teaching that like, you know, like a doctor goes and diagnoses a patient, a good teacher goes in and diagnoses, what does that student really need? And in doing that, you know, I I sometimes like, if you're really, if I'm really concentrating and I'm really trying to do that, I'll say something to that student about how to approach a certain musical problem that I hadn't really thought of before, you know? And I'm like, well, that's a really, really great idea because I, maybe I wasn't having that same problem. So I didn't need to look at it that way, but I was forced to look at it from the perspective of someone else who was coming at it from a different place than me. They're at a different, you know, when, when I was that age, they're in a different place with this one than I was. Maybe they're behind, maybe they're ahead. Maybe they're just looking at it from a completely different perspective. And, and that there've been many times when I'll, something will say, I'm like, Oh, yeah, I'm like, just do this. And I'm like, that's a great exercise. How did I think of that? Like, I had never thought yeah. of that before. It just kind of yeah. comes out. Um, and that's and I'm like, oh, why should practice that too? You know, it's a great idea. Um, right. If I don't, if I don't say so myself, I mean, you know, but it's 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 really it's not because I I might not have never come up with that if I hadn't sat in the room with that student and tried to see it from their perspective. And so yeah, there's mm-hmm. definitely moments like that where you're working with a student and you're like. Oh yeah, that's a good idea. Or yeah, you should do it. They they say, how about we do it like that? And you're like, yeah, I was gonna say something else, but let's do it like that because you're right. Because right. it's a good idea, you know, for sure. Yeah, um, yeah. I think that's what was kind of fascinating is you hear all these different opinions from the different walks of life about one thing. It's almost you know similar when you when you brought that up about everybody checking out the same recording. Uh, it reminded me, like, I just saw the movie The Joker, I don't know, like a week ago or something. Okay. Yeah, uh, I haven't seen it yet. I, I want to go see that. Brilliant, brilliant film. Um, I, yeah, I would recommend that to anybody listening. I think it's a brilliant film. But I was talking about it to a couple different friends, and uh, one of my friends works in mental health. And there's a there's oh. a layer of mental health to this film. Um, mm. And so her perspective on it was completely different from mine. Mm-hmm. And, and, and like, and she pulled things out of, of what we saw. We were talking about specific scenes and like, Oh wow. I didn't even catch that. You know, but then mm. vice versa, you know, like I was talking about things I saw and was aware of during the whole movie. And she's like, wow, I didn't catch really most of that, but you know, this one thing mm-hmm. at the end. And I, I love that because it's all just, I mean, a brilliant piece of work, you know, trio, uh, a painting like the Degas thing, it's mm-hmm. got layers to it. And we can, mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm going to listen like I listen. I'm going to check in how I check in. Okay, what's going on here? And I kind of, you know, just go down this list about how I listen to music. Mm-hmm. And, and and it's going to go through this way. But someone else, and specifically somebody with uh, I mean, it should go either way. You know, I almost think someone younger mm-hmm. in their musical career almost has mm-hmm. this childlike innocence where they're going to, that's right. They're going to pick up something that, you know, the crusty old man, Ryan Roberts didn't catch. <laughs> Some, <laughs> you know, Get off my lawn. Exactly. Uh, you know, <laughs> I'm just stuck in my ways. but they have this yeah. innocence about their music where they're just, you know, and maybe it's the first time that they've heard, Actually, what was it? What was the track that you? Is it always the same one, or do you just pick different trios? Uh, there's well, there's, there's like there's a few different ones, but I, I think there's the one that uh, I always have everybody listen to um, is a track, uh, an Oscar Peterson track. It's actually, this is actually not a trio. It has with with Milt Jackson on it. Okay. But, so it's the Oscar Peterson trio and, and Milt Jackson, and um, the I think the record is called Very Tall. 
um, I, I hope I'm remembering the right one, but there's a there's a version of Green Dolphin Street. I always have them learn because I'm like, for some of them, it's, they've never heard that tune before. Super important standard to know about, but it's mm-hmm. it's uh, here it is, and it's still straight ahead. But yet, how they shape the tune, what they do in different sections, how they go from thing to thing, yeah, it's a great kind of entry level way of having them to describe it. Then like say like go to Chick Corea, now he sings, now he sobs. Hey, what are they doing? <laughs> they have no idea. You know what I mean? Like, it's, sure. for them, for where they're at right now, that's really kind of, they're not playing like that. They're not listening to music like that. I'm trying to, we're, we're not, you know, we're not there. That is, I, I do have them listen to a track on there just so they see, get some perspective of like, hey, here's Oscar's trio just swinging straight ahead. And, mm-hmm. and here's somebody who's not doing that. And they're doing something very different. Right. You know, so you have some perspective of like here, you know, here's how things can be, and and I I think actually at least even if you can't you know listen to you know a chick record from you know from that era and just be like oh yeah t- I totally understand the whole concept and you could just step into the trio and play yourself, just at least being aware of that music I think helps give you that much more perspective on the music that isn't like that that is super straight ahead something like an Oscar Peterson trio sure um, because it's important to know what things are it's also important to know what things aren't um, exactly and I think. You know, it's it's why I think for all of us, just in general, like if if you're, even if it's not music that you you ultimately decide that's what I want to devote my time to, at least checking it out and knowing what it is, you can't make a decision whether you like something or not if you don't listen to it. You know, (laughs) how can you say you don't like something if you've never even heard it? Uh, So, you know, whether whether you like it or not, you know, it's good to listen to things just so you can, you know, rule them out or rule them in or or just rule them or not make a rule yet or just say, I'm not sure. Um, Right. So I think that's that's important, too, even if it's not something that you can instantly absorb right away. Yeah, I think um, specifically in relation to, uh, you know, those two piano trios, you got Oscar Peterson, you know, even as far as Bill Evans. Um, mm-hmm. I, I have like a, a kind of an interesting history with that piano trio in general because I loved it, but I had no idea what was going on. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, like I'm learning like my first standard. Uh, yeah, I'm learning Autumn Leaves at like I don't know 17 or something. Sure. And so I went out and bought a bunch of records and. Uh, where I could find Autumn Leaves on it and just check it out. Like one of them was, uh, I think it was Bill Evans at Half Moon Bay with Eddie Gomez. Okay. Where Eddie sure, plays yeah. the melody. Uh, and like, I was like, all right, I got that part. Then what happened? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, yeah, it's, it's a big concepts for getting started for sure. But it's, and then I was always at this kind of, this weird thing, like, well, I want to be, I want to be hip. Right, like this is mm-hmm. <laughs> what mm-hmm. maybe every jazz student goes through, or every jazz musician. I want to be hip. Totally. I want to be plugged yeah. into the hippest thing. I gotta be, uh, I gotta be associated with that. With whatever's the most cutting edge artistic statements, uh, I have to be. I gotta align myself with those ideals. Mm-hmm. And so I, I didn't, I, I didn't find the value in Oscar Peterson till way later. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, because on first listen, Ray's just walking. Like, I mean, he's got a right. beautiful, uh, you know, like, timeless record, We Get Requests. Like, he actually sets up bass parts on that record, which I love. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, 
I mean, it's still very much loose and in the moment and all those things, but it's it's a little bit more of a part. Specifically, I'm sure. thinking of Corcovado. Um, okay. And uh, it's like, okay. Okay, let's tell what Lafaro's doing. Lafaro's all over the base. He's doing double stops. He's got all this. Sure, yeah. You know, and it doesn't necessarily fall in line with any pre, pre-diagnosed, pre uh, this is what the base does. Thing. Oh, yeah. Well, not, yeah. You know. Yeah, totally, yeah. <laughs> and so it's like, all right, well, I got to be hip, so I got to like Lafaro. I got to love Lafaro because I got to be mm-hmm. hip, and that's the only way to be good is to sound like Scott Lafaro. <laughs> right, 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 uh, right, right, right. There's that. I mean, yes, if you can sound like Scott LaFarrell, fantastic. Yeah, um, no, that's really good. <laughs> right, yeah, that's not a bad <laughs> not a bad launching pad. Yeah. Uh, but but then also, to kind of bring it back to decisions, that's just one element of playing that can inform a decision. Like that trio yeah. had a, that trio yeah. had an identity that was built around those concepts in which Scott could play like that. Yes. I've also... Man, I've, I've, it's been kind of crazy. I'll have to share some of these records with you when I pull up the names of them. I found some old records with Scott, like, just walking. One of them is a Milt Hitton record. Uh, wow. Uh, and it's, I think, a quintet. Like, it's wow. not, it's Scott just playing normal bass player stuff. Wow. <laughs> wow. Um, yeah. Yeah, I'll... I'll Two of those records. As soon as I tracked yeah. down whatever I did with those titles, uh, I wrote them <laughs> down for like the for my little transcription, Scott LaFaro transcriptions. I wanted to transcribe Scott's walking line because everybody knows the stuff cool. he did with Bill and Ornette. But like, let's sure. let's take a look at what he did walking wise. Yeah, uh, I'm I'm interested to dig into that when I get some free time. Oh yeah, uh, but. Sure. As, as, but yeah, like you can then you can make decisions if you can check in with Lafaro and you can check in with Ray. Um, yes, I do. I do think if you, people that want to pay the bills playing the bass play like Ray. <laughs> yep. Well, you gotta, uh, but, at least one thing you got to know how to do is you yeah. you got to know how to do that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that that's that will keep you working. Just feeling good, walking the baseline. Um, there are those things, but and there's a lot of people that do that. You know, there's a lot of generations that just check in right there, and they've had nice careers yeah. because of it. Sure. Uh, I don't know. I get maybe it's kind of that objective thing. If I want to listen to it, I'll listen to Ray. Yeah. yeah <laughs> like yeah. I sound like a dick, but uh, you know, like I don't want to hear someone quote somebody else all the time. Like if yeah, if I can hear like some Ray in your playing, awesome. Cool. Of yeah, course, yeah, yeah, Ray yeah. needs to right. be acknowledged within the, the lexicon of bass. Uh, but like, don't let's not just stop there. You know, I mean, you can clearly hear right. it in guys like George Mraz. You can hear all that if George Mraz is playing, but he's got Absolutely. some other stuff going on too. Yeah, it's fantastic. Um, and I, I, I prefer that. Um, I, I think I got off. I got off track from my tangent on that. I, <laughs> well, but, I mean, to, fur- to further you on your tangent, though, I mean, like, I, I, <laughs> I, I, I have to agree with you, though. Like, you know, there's, um, and I and I hear it the same way too. Like, you know, I I started learning how to play the bass. Um, yeah, like you know, listen to Ray Brown and and listen to Paul Chambers. Um, right. My teacher, Mike Richmond, had studied with Paul Chambers, so like, you know. Mm. Like, oh, like, I didn't know that actually. Paul. 
Yeah, yeah, he did. St- he studied with Paul for a little bit, and um, I, I remember he, he said, one of, "I was going through Mike's book for a little bit. I loved his book. Oh, yeah, the, the uh, book is modern. The book is really modern, great. Yeah, yeah, modern walking bass technique, volume one. He never did write a volume two, but uh, <laughs> he got like a lot. Mo- I lot like the cliffhanger. <laughs> yeah, it <laughs> was a cliffhanger. Waiting. I mean, volume one. I mean, he was. You know, there's so. That book is there's so much in there that like you know yeah. I guess he didn't really need to write write a volume two. They're they're very you know they're they're very advanced baselines. If you have enjoyed this episode and would like to know more about upcoming guests and other Bay Shed happenings, uh, you can text the word SHED, S-H-E-D, to 66866. Uh, I try to make it easy. I try to make it easy as possible to stay connected. And let's be honest, we're uh, we're all sending texts throughout the day, so just shoot me one. Shoot me one that says SHED, S-H-E-D, to 66866, and we'll get you plugged into the newsletter. You can also hear previous versions of the podcast at Apple Podcast, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. Please take a second to rate the show. Um, and if you'd like, you can donate to keep this thing happening. There is a link for that at com backslash podcast. All right, that was my conversation with Mark Wade. That was part of it. Again, can we just all agree that I suck and uh, did not really check out the app uh, time specifications, specifications before I uh, did this? <sighs> Man, it was a bummer because it was uh, yeah, we went on for a little while longer, and it was really, it was really a great time, talking with him and connecting with him. Uh, I highly suggest checking out his record, uh, Moving Day. There will be links up at thebayshed.com. Um, I'm gonna do better at dealing with technology, and uh, you know, maybe a little bit more planning would be good. Maybe I read some things about what I'm using. That'd be a good idea. Uh, all right. Well, that's what I got. That's what I got. And I'm, I apologize to not only Mark, but I apologize to all of you for not, uh, that you didn't get to hear the whole, the whole conversation because it was a really good one. <laughs> and also the one that never got used, also a good one. Uh, it was great kind of doing the phone hang with Mark. And, uh, I really, I really like and agree with so much of his perspectives about music and trio playing. Um, and where he's coming from with, with the music and his writing. Um, yeah, yeah, that's his story. I'm sticking to it. My name's Ryan and I'll catch you on the next one.